we welcome everybody in to another edition of the Stingers Up Sacramento State Football Podcast. It's Causeway Week. Oh my goodness. I look forward to this one each and every year. So glad that it's the final game of the season. So glad that both teams are in the big sky, that it matters at the end, and so glad that this one, yet again for another year, has a lot of meaning towards it. We will preview that today here on the Stingers Up podcast. We also will take a look back at the last game, the home finale for the Sacramento State Hornets, a win over Cal Poly, and very special interview today with Sam Herter. And if it's a name you don't know, you need to know, because those of you that follow FCS should follow Sam Herter, whether it's social media or all the different outlets he works for. He's the senior FCS analyst for Hero Sports, and we'll get Sam's perspective on the potential playoff aspects of the game this weekend, but really more so for the Hornets. Um, the variety of spots they could finish. Things could look like they host in two weeks with a top eight seed and a bye. Um, they could be a, a team that plays week one, and I guess there's still a scenario, a reality, that they're left out of the playoff picture. So some of these are more popular or more common probably for happening than others, but we'll go over those scenarios with Sam Herter. You'll have that conversation coming up. But let's look back. It was a home finale for 17 seniors playing their final game at home, at least regular season game. And it got off to a pretty good start for Sacramento State, taking on a a more-than-game Cal Poly team. They'd struggled, but those of you that watched the game, went to the game, listened to the game, I know that you were impressed with Sam Heward because he was phenomenal. Five-star recruit, transferred from Washington, and he'd missed a couple games, but boy, was he good against the Hornets. He led them down to a scoring drive to start the game 3-0. But the Hornets, though, would respond... And their first score on the ground for Elijah Tau Tolliver. Now Tau Tolliver in the game, he's in the slot right. Folster still in the backfield. Tau Tolliver in motion. Takes the inside handoff. Cuts it back between the tackles. Tau Tolliver will take it to the house. E-T-T. Sex day touchdown. 34 yards to the house. Ivan Garzet left tackle and Jackson Slater opened up a hole on the left side of the line. And the safety help did not get over. Touchdown. All right, so it's 7-3 Hornets still here in the first quarter. Hornets get the ball back again. And a senior playing in his final home game, Marcus Fulcher, he would explode on this big gainer. Take the handoff, run it again between the tackles. Now loose in the secondary. Marcus Fulcher inside the 40. Fulcher to the 30. Make one miss and drag down at the Cal Poly 16-yard line. A flag comes in late. He was tackled by the face mask, so he's going to get half the distance to the goal. You know, you said three to one run. I was almost going to say it was a hundred percent run, one nothing. <laughs> that was a big one for Fulcher. He gets in on the now. Tau Tolliver has a run, a big one, and Fulcher with a big run in these first two possessions. All right, that set up the Hornets for another score. By the way, this was the first career start for Carson Conklin. He would start a QB. He would have a big day, and Conklin would find Devin Gandy. Third and goal. Fulcher in motion from right to left. Conklin looks his way, bottoms a lot of time, dump it short across the middle, pass inside the five-yard line, into the end zone for a Sac State touchdown. Devin Gandy. Two possessions, two Sac State touchdowns. And Gandy is on the sideline, so it's okay. Takes his helmet up, and he's skipping down toward midfield. Fired up. So that seven-yarder to Gandy put the Hornets up 14-3. to The Mustangs would score another touchdown on their next possession. So after one quarter, Hornets couldn't shake them. It was 14-10. First points of the second quarter would go to a field goal to Cal Poly. It's now 14-13. But in the second quarter, good to see this guy get in the end zone again, the All-American Marshall Martin. 
Conklin takes a shot deep, has a man out there, Marcio Martin into the end zone for a Sacramento State touchdown. The All-American tight end from 40 yards out. And what a dime from Conklin. Talk about a guy who deserves it. Marshall Martin has had his injury problems. Came into the season as an All-American. Finally got his first touchdown pass a couple weeks ago. And right there gets number two. Came in with 25 catches on the year. And Conklin delivered a beauty. An easy, easily catchable ball down the middle. After a defensive stop, the Hornets got down the field again. And a guy who ended up having a big day, Jared Gibson. Here's Gibson with a big gainer. First down, Sacramento State. Fake the handoff to Michael Johnson. Dropping back to throw is Conklin pass caught Gibson across the 30 what a catch by Gibson readjusting with the flight of the ball taken inside the 20-yard line wow. knocked out of bounds at the 15. well number one he was wide open but number two the pass was behind him he had to twist his his body backward and contort himself to go back and make that catch and it kind of spun him around on impact great adjustment by Gibson after that big play Carson Conklin would find Carlos Hill for the score Conklin takes the shotgun snap, play action pass, dropping back as Conklin, fire over the middle, pass caught for a touchdown! Carlos Hill playing on this field perhaps for the final time. One of the 17 seniors, well just when I said you could just meander down the field, the Hornets took the expressway, two big pass plays and a touchdown. So 28-13, Hornets feeling good, it's then 28-20. And finally, the defense would try to uh, make a play, and they would get to the quarterback. Here's Josh Casciola. Ball spotted on the 16-yard line. He were to wait the shotgun snap. Three receivers to the right and two to the left. Pocket collapses. He were in some trouble. Down he goes. Casciola got him. Spun into the ground at the 11-yard line. That's exactly what the Hornets needed, Casciola making the sack, because now Portland State will probably be a little bit more conservative because they're back at their own 12-yard line. Hornets have two timeouts left. There was a lot of drama at the end of that second quarter. The Hornets, that Carlos Hill touchdown we heard moments ago, that was with 2.27 to go. Cal Poly would score with a minute 39. They would hold the Hornets, get the ball back, and hit a field goal with 18 seconds left, 28-23. What would the Hornets do? Maybe that's how the half would end. Nope, they would get aggressive and look for the long ball and Gibson again. For the Sac State 39-yard line. Hornets with one timeout remaining. So far, neither team willing to take a knee. Conklin working from the shotgun. Fake the handoff to Fulcher. Takes a shot deep. Has a man out there. Jared Gibson with a catch inside the 15-yard line. Four seconds remaining. <laughs> I, I prematurely will write down the halftime score on my chart, and I've had to change it twice already, and now the Hornets are in field goal range. Will they kick the field goal now? Because they have four seconds on the scoreboard. That would set the Hornets up for a field goal right before the half, and Sacramento State led at halftime by the score of 31-23. to Second half, less scoring, but still some important plays for the defense in the third quarter. The first interception of his career for Gavin Davis-Smith. Two receivers each side. He were dropping back to throw. Pocket holes up. Now he would roll into his left. Dumps it short. Deflected. Ooh. Picked off. Gavin Davis-Smith. Outside the 30, Gavin Davis-Smith to the 20, inside the 10, GDS inside the five-yard line. The first turnover of the game. And the 12th interception for Sacramento State on the year. The Hornets backed off 
and had an extra linebacker in there. Look at that, off the line of scrimmage, five yards. That's what they had to do. They had to do something to change things up. As you heard the return, that set up the Hornets nicely with Elijah Tau Tolliver pounding in the end zone. Now they run the handoff to Elijah Tau Tolliver, turns it to the right side and into the end zone for a Sac State touchdown. One play off the turnover and the lead mushrooms to 37-23. 38-23 at that point. It would be 38-30 in the fourth quarter. Gavin Davis-Smith would do it again. Dropping back to throw is Heward off his back foot. Across the middle and picked off at the 10-yard line. What a mistake. Gavin Davis-Smith, his second of the game. Well, I'll tell you why he threw the interception. The previous play, he was hit when he threw the ball and hit pretty good. That play, he was hit hard when he threw the ball. And just that, that tension in him caused him to not zip it as hard as he usually does. And that led to the interception. And the Hornet that was in there uh, rushing him was Wolf, who came in there, Mitchell Wolf. Hornets would add a field goal in the fourth quarter. They end up winning 41-30. to You heard those calls there by Dave Lewis, Steve McRoy, Danny Sullivan. Well, here's Danny postgame with the coach, Andy Thompson. All right, guys, here with head coach Andy Thompson. A battle today with the Cal Poly Mustangs, but you get the victory. Yeah, great job by our offense. Uh, 31 points in the first half. Um, I thought in the defense, the second half, a couple turnovers and giving up seven points was much improved from the first half. And special teams was really good all day. So glad to get the win and, and get our seventh win. Looking at your, you started your freshman quarterback, Carson Conklin, over 300 yards, a few touchdowns. What did you see out, out of this player today that just makes you guys enjoy the future of what he can do? I thought the, the offense executed really well. He did a nice job finding some open receivers. Receivers did a really good job of getting open and our offensive line protected. So total team uh, effort on the offensive side. Coach Frescas did a great job of calling the game and, and uh, good to see the offense rolling. Big game next week, Causeway Classic. Hope everyone can come out, tell the fans we really need them next week. Definitely love to see a bunch of people over there at Davis, but gonna enjoy tonight. Uh, we got some recruits in town, so we're going to host them, and then uh, we'll go from there tomorrow. Congratulations, Coach, on the victory. Okay, thank you very much. All right, so there's your look back at the win last Saturday for the Hornets over Cal Poly. Well, now let's get into what's ahead for the Hornets. We'll preview the Aggie game, the Causeway, at the end here, but wanted a chance to catch up with senior FCS analyst for Hero Sports, Sam Herder. And, uh, Sam, let's talk about this. It's got to be the most exciting time of the year for you. Yeah, it's uh, it's one of my favorite weeks, but it's also one of my least favorite weeks because, uh, I mean, obviously so many people across the FCS fan bases and teams and coaches are, you know, engaged with what's happening elsewhere for playoff positioning and C positioning. And so that's fun to talk about, but it's also, you know, can be pretty stressful, you know, as well, trying to figure out all the different scenarios and situations. And, you know, if this team wins, this could happen. If that team wins, this other thing could happen. And so it's really trying to juggle, you know, all the seeding scenarios, all the at-large scenarios. There's still some auto-bid scenarios out there. So it's a fun week, but uh, it's certainly a lot to to try to digest, I guess. I know this is the world we live in, but you do this, you, your best guess, you always set up your brackets, for, you know, a couple of weeks ago and the last week and this week, the percentage of responses that you get that are positive for your brackets versus Sam, you don't know what the heck you're talking about. 
Yeah, uh, I, I don't know. You know, I think it's it's a balance. Um, I kind of have a, an easy cop out. You know, I guess because it's projecting ahead, so it's ba- it's based off of you know current resumes and also you know future games, and it's also what I think the playoff committee is going to do. And so, I'm trying to get the most accurate you know, playoff bracket and, and what it's going to look like. You know, obviously when you do the playoff brackets, you know, bracketology two weeks ago, I already know for sure things are going to change because thing unless things go chalk and then they won't change, but things just, you know, never go chalk in college football. And so that's one cop out, but also like, you know, there are some examples where like, you know, I don't, I'm going to put X team in as the last team in the playoff field. I don't personally think they have a great argument over this other team that I left out, but I think based off of past precedent, the committee would put this team in and they would leave this team out. And so that's kind of my cop-out answer. If someone is, why would this team be in? But it's, you know, also kind of, I don't want to do a bracketology of what I think I would do. It's what I think is actually going to happen. And so um, I think for the most part, people are uh, certainly engaged with it. I mean, the fans love it. I mean, I honestly, even coaches DM me about it and, and ask about, you know, if we beat this team, you know, would we be in or what are our chances in? And so um, it, it gets great engagement and I enjoy doing it. And I think a lot of people reading it know things are probably going to change, but they also, you know, really care about where their team is at, how they're positioned to make the playoffs, which is ultimately why I do it. So when you do this in kind of the eyes of the committee, what do you, what's your history tell you that they lean towards um, conference play quality wins? Like we're, where do you feel like, hey, if there's a, a team X versus team Y, they lean this way because what's your history tell you? Yeah, past precedent shows that ranked wins uh, are really important. And I think strength of schedule, you know, past precedent has shown that strength of schedule is very um, important for them. And I even had, you know, Kent Haslam, he's the Montana athletic director, but he's also the chair of the playoff committee. Uh, I had him on my podcast a couple of weeks ago um, and I asked him how often strength of schedule is talked about. And he said, from his experience, I think this is his sixth year, sixth and final year on the playoff committee. Strength of schedule is usually the most talked about, quote unquote, criteria points uh, for the playoff committee. Now, every every playoff committee is different. Uh, I think there's usually like it's a, it's a ten person member. Um, I think you serve six years, uh, and so like every year there's three new members that leave. Uh, and then, you know, obviously three new members uh, that come in. And so every year things are a little different. Uh, I mean, every committee member too has a different mindset, you know, on things. And so that's why it's difficult to say, you know, what does the playoff committee value more than anything else? Because, you know, there could be six that value strength of schedule, but the other four could maybe value, you know, well, I'd, strength of schedule can be kind of skewed. And so I'm going to go toward, you know, how you ended the season, how many ranked wins you have, you know, if you have a great strength of schedule, but you lost two of your last three, you know, that we could, I could maybe punish you for that. And so each committee member, there's no rigid, this is what you have to follow. It's here's the list of 10 different criteria. You choose what you think, you know, is best. On the ranked wins, I find that to be a funny one in the sense of, let's take Big Sky, for example. Um, teams might have ranked wins, quote unquote, against Weber, against Eastern. And now those, aren't ranked teams how do you think they evaluate like look montana win a, a sac state win an idaho win a montana state win those are ranked teams kind of before the season and stayed ranked where do they fall in lines with a team that might have been ranked 15th but by the end of the year is a five and 16 yeah and so i know a, a lot of reactions after the bracket 
you know, is, is released that, you know, a lot of, you know, fans say that all oh, the playoff committee doesn't know what they're doing. They're just, you know, throwing a dart at the wall and, you know, seeing what sticks, but uh, they truly have so much data uh, that they comb through at their disposal. When it comes to ranked wins, they do view wins over teams who are ranked, you know, at the time. And so for, you know, Weber state, a prime example, if you beat Weber state, when they were ranked, uh, you know, that, that still counts as a ranked win for you. But another thing they measure is the overall record of your opponent. And so, um, yeah, for, you know, Montana State, when they beat Weber State, for example, Weber State was a top 10 team. That's a top 10 win. But Weber State could potentially finish five and six or six and five. So that kind of goes against your overall, uh, you know, team, uh, you know, I guess your, your resume, you know, as a team, you know, on the flip side, if you beat a team who was unranked, you know, in middle of September, that doesn't count as a ranked win. But if that team goes on to be number 15 and they finish nine and two, that really boosts up, you know, the overall record of your opponents. And so there, there is, there is a balance there. Um, and the committee, no doubt, you know, looks at these things. They, they, they realize, okay, yeah, you beat Sanford, who was number eight at the time, but Sanford's not in the playoff bracket. And so, yes, it's a ranked win, but they look closer at exactly what type of ranked win uh, it is. All right, Sam, I want to ask you then about the Hornets. So here they are, seven and three. Um, Nickel State probably now looks like a better win as they're an automatic qualifier. Stanford, obviously, a signature win. But after that, right now on the resume, not a lot is popping off the page probably to the committee. What's your thoughts before the causeway uh, for Sacramento State on their outlook? Yeah, it's it's an interesting resume because there aren't you know any ranked wins on there. Uh, Nichols is... Uh, you know, uh, a conference uh, champion. And so that is still, you know, a, a quality win, but there's no ranked FCS wins on there. There are quote unquote quality losses because the playoff committee does look at who you lost to and how you lost. And while I understand that the quality loss term, you know, kind of seems weird when you say it, it does make sense because, you know, a, a, a three loss team and their three losses were all the top 10 teams, you know, really competitive with Idaho relatively competitive, you know, with Montana state until the end there, you know, obviously the Montana loss was a blowout, but those are, those three losses are different than two losses to unranked teams, you know, just for example. And so there is a quality loss argument. It's not, you know, if your only argument is your quality losses, you know, you're, you're probably in, in a tough spot, but uh, for Sac state, it's interesting because there's been four FBS wins this year, only one over a power five uh, opponent. And that was obviously Sac state beating uh, Stanford. And so that win certainly stands out, but you know, one power five win, but no ranked wins. How do you balance that? Of course, UC Davis has fallen out of the rankings uh, still going to be, you know, a quality win, but it's just, you know, there's going to be a zero, no matter what happens on the ranked win resume, which, you know, potentially could hurt the Hornets. So let's go over each scenario. Let's take a win against Davis and a loss against Davis. Let's start with a win, Sam. And I know we can't know everything else. So let's, we'll use the term chalk. If everything kind of plays as expected and the Hornets win, where would you envision they find themselves on Sunday? Yeah, they'll, I mean, for sure in, in the uh, bracket, we'll, we'll obviously, you know, start there, have to say that, but I I don't know if they will be a seed or not again, eight and three, 
Um, there's going to be a few difference, you know, eight win teams kind of battling for seeds, uh, an eight win NDSU team, uh, you know, potentially could be a seed. I think an eight, eight and three Idaho team, you know, is, is still going to be a seed. You know, if Montana state loses, they would be eight and three, but I still think, you know, Montana state would, uh, would be a seed. Uh, and then you have, you know, there's a few CAA teams. U Albany uh, could potentially be a seed at nine wins. I think the winner of the Villanova Delaware game this weekend, they're going to be a seed. Um, you know, Austin P could potentially finish uh, with nine wins. Um, so they could be a seed. And so there's, I think there's seven teams that are, you can't say they're locks for seeds right now, but I think South Dakota state, both Montana schools, Furman, South Dakota, Idaho, the winner of the Villanova, Villanova, Delaware game, that seven, those seven teams are probably going to be seeds unless, you know, chaos happens. Uh, who's going to be that eight seed. I think it'll come down to you, Albany. NDSU if they win, Sac State if they win, and probably Austin P if they win. So what is that? Four, four-ish teams battling for that eight spot. So that's that's a com- pretty that's a pretty competitive, uh, you know, race for that number eight seed. Yeah. So I guess best case if if the Hornets truly, I mean, most teams would want to buy. They'd want to be a seeded team, get that extra week, could be an eight. But if they win, you're thinking at worst a home playoff as a nine through what is that sixteen? Yeah. So they only seed. Uh, eight teams uh, in the brackets. Uh, they're looking at seeding nine through 16 as well next year, which if you are a, a nine through 16 seed, you automatically get a home game against any team in the 17 to 24 field. Uh, hosting in the first round is still, still pretty inconsistent this year on what they value. Um, you know, they, they determine a hosting by either bid amounts, you know, how much you bid to host revenue potential through, you know, tickets, uh, you know, player experience, um, it, which is basically, you know, facilities. Do you have good facilities? If you have a really bad locker room, that could that could damage you. Um, and and overall, uh, you know, team team performance. And so it's kind of a, a mix where, you know, a lot of times if you bid really high to host, you're going to get that bid. But there are other times where the playoff committee has steered against that. And last year is a prime example where UND bid like 120,000 to host. They got paired up with Weber State, and Weber State only bid like 40,000 to host. But because Weber State was just outside of getting a seed, they ignored the bid amounts and they gave Weber State the home game. Now there are other examples where Montana was one last last year. Montana was one of the last teams in. They got paired up with Semo, uh, a conference champion. Montana bid a lot, and Montana got the home game. And so that that was the the, the biggest gripe last year was. Sometimes they value this. Sometimes they value that when it comes to first round hosting. And so I can't, it's really impossible for me to say, you know, if Sac State is in the first round, they would for sure host. You just, you just really uh, don't know, but it is usually paired up, uh, you know, based off of geography, you know, obviously in California, your options are a little bit limited. And so, you know, Sac State could get paired up with like a, uh, you know, maybe an Austin P maybe a, like a, I guess they couldn't they couldn't face off against Nichols because you can't have you know rematches from the regular season, but more of a you know a central time time team. Uh, usually they would get paired up with you know they probably won't send like Villanova uh, you know across the country. That that does happen every now and then just based off of how the bracket. Like I know Richmond you know went out there that kind of goes up it goes against the geography basis of the playoff bracket, but um, really it's it's kind of a shot in the dark when it comes to first round matchups and and who and who is hosting. And then you were saying you think next year they're implementing that nine through 16 getting at home game. 
Yeah, it's not for sure yet, but uh, they were really pushing for it this year and they got several approvals for it this year until it hit the finance committee. Um, and they did not approve it just because uh, overall revenue for the NCAA was even. And so the more seeds you do, the the more expensive it is going to be for the NCAA to run the bracket because, you know, right now they try to pair things up based off of bus trips. Um, and so any team in the really the nine through 24 field, you know, can get paired up but if they do nine through 16 you know again like i said nine through 16 would for sure have a first round home game and they would be paired up with the pool of 17 to 24 teams just again that would probably be based off of geography but it would be less of a regionalized bracket the more teams they seed and, and they're hoping to get that pushed through the finish line for next season all right sam so we talked about if the hornets beat the aggies for sure they're in maybe maybe an eight seed depends um, what about the, the thing they don't want to have happen, but what if they were to lose to the Aggies? The interesting part about that is Davis would be seven and four Sacramento state would be seven and four. Obviously Davis would have beaten Sac state. What, what's the scenario there really for both squads for, for the Hornets and the Aggies, if, if the Aggies win. Yeah, that would really get interesting because yeah, I know the, the big sky got five teams in last year um including i think there was montana was seven and four they may have been a, another seven and four team um in there i can't remember but even last year at uc davis at six and five you know they, they were considered uh to get in but last year's playoff bubble was was pretty weak you know there wasn't a ton of competition uh this year there's going to be you know there could be about six teams battling for those last two spots in um you know we mentioned Nichols uh, getting the auto bid that could result in uiw uh, you know, getting an at-large bid out of the Southland. And before that happened, before Nichols beat UIW, it was looking like the Southland was going to be a one-bid league. Now it could be a two-bid league. Uh, you know, NC Central, we all thought they were the favorite to go to the Celebration Bowl out of the MEAC um, and win the Celebration Bowl. They lost last week. Um, and so their path to, to the Celebration Bowl um, is kind of blocked as long as Howard wins. And so now, so now all of a sudden, NC Central could finish 9-2. and two. They've been a top-10 team. If they don't go to the Celebration Bowl, they're probably going to be an at-large bid. Um, and that is one less at-large bid that we thought was going to happen a week ago uh, because of that uh, upset upset loss for NC Central. And so the the playoff brackets, uh, the playoff bubble um, is going to be really packed this year. I guess what happens between UC Davis and Sac State at seven and four, you know, there's definitely potential that both could get both could get in, you know, that would mean five total bids from, uh, from the big sky conference. I, I don't know if there's going to be room for five teams from the big sky this year, especially because UC Davis has has kind of fallen, you know, off of the rankings. So they've probably fallen off of the radar of the playoff committee a little bit, but if UC Davis beats Sac state, you know, as the playoff committee, you know, is watching in the room in Indianapolis and they only, you know, want to go with one big sky team, there's a chance that they would just say, okay, UC Davis won the head to head you know, we should probably put UC Davis in. They could also turn it around and say, yeah, UC Davis has the head to head, but Sac State has the probably the overall uh, better resume between the two, you know, win over Nichols, power five win. Let's, let's still go with Sac State, even though uh, UC Davis has the head to head. And so um, I really don't know actually what would happen, you know, in that scenario, it could go uh, a multitude of ways where they go one or the other, or they, they would probably, you know, potentially could also go with both getting in. I mean, it's amazing. I know I'm glad they've expanded, but sometimes it's always going to happen no matter how how large the field is. But this year of all years, Sam, it feels like they probably could get away with a, I don't know, 32 even. I know that's not in talks, but where last year you said the, the back end of the bubble was kind of weak. This year, I think there's some, there's going to be a few good teams left out. Yeah, there are. And I do wonder if, 
because like I can't remember if it was two years ago or last year, there was talk actually among the commissioners about expanding uh, mm. the playoff bracket potentially to 28 teams or 232 teams. And the commissioners who were pushing for that were the Big Sky Missouri Valley Football Conference and the CAA commissioners. Why? Because those are the bigger conferences and because they believe their fifth and sixth place teams are better than, you know, the second or third place teams in uh, you know, the OVC big South or, you know, the Southland or the SoCon. And so they didn't want, you know, their fifth place teams getting left out because there wasn't enough room. They've since backed off, you know, on that. They, they all believe as of right now that 24 teams is the right amount because the more teams you put it in the bracket, the, the less first round buys uh, you get, the more games are being played on Thanksgiving. And that's just not good because Thanksgiving games really struggle to draw. And so, they backed away from that now. Uh, I think all commissioners are in lockstep that they think 24 teams is the right amount. Now they just want more seeds within that 24 team bracket. But I do wonder if, you know, there could be two ranked Valley teams that get left out of the bracket this year. There could be an eight and three team from the CAA that, that gets left out this year. There could be a, a Sac State or a UC Davis team at seven and four that gets left out this year. And all of a sudden these commissioners might go, well, maybe we do want 28 teams in the bracket. I personally hope they don't, because that just seems like way too much. And um, again, you're putting two, more games on Thanksgiving, which I don't think uh, would be good. Um, but you know, it will be interesting to see if, if that comes back up or not. You watch all these teams, just curious your perception overall in the big sky. Is it, does it rank as your top conference second bet? Like where do you put them amongst the FCS? Yeah, it, it's kind of it seems like it's gone back and forth between the big sky in the valley, especially this season. Um, it seemed like, you know, maybe for a little bit, the valley was the better conference. But then, uh, I mean, you had UC Davis bubble up and then you had, you know, Eastern Washington for a little bit bubbled up into the rankings. I think at one point there were seven teams ranked in the top 25 from the big sky. And so then it went it went to, OK, the valley has one, you know, elite team in South Dakota State, but the big sky has, you know, more depth. Now it kind of seemed like that that's flipped again, where the Valley still has, you know, that one elite team uh, with South Dakota state to then, you know, five, six good teams after South Dakota state, the big sky has, you know, maybe lost some depth because UC Davis has fallen off, even though they're still in the pitcher pitcher, like we talked about Eastern Washington has fallen off as well. And so there's kind of four, four good teams uh, in the big sky right now, you know, maybe a couple of them could challenge uh, South Dakota state. And so, um, I don't know. I think the, the, the top of the big sky is, is better than the top of the Valley. But um, if you want to look, I guess, like at the middle tier of both conferences, you would probably give that edge to the Missouri Valley football conference. Yeah. What's great about this is, you know, it's one game you never know. Cause Sam, I would have said after calling the Hornets and uh, Montana state, I, I thought, well, this is just a collision course for Montana state, South Dakota state again to play. I just, they look to be the two best teams. Now they've stumbled a little bit. I think South Dakota state clearly seems to be the best, but I'd be, Curious, uh, who, who if you're looking at without knowing the field yet, um, who do you think might get there all the way to the end? Yeah, it's it's really hard to see South Dakota State losing. I mean, they have seven ranked wins already this regular season. Um, I want to say five of those were all by three scores or more. <laughs> so I mean, they're I mean, Montana State gave them a heck of a game, and you could argue that Montana State should have won that game. Uh, Southern Illinois also gave South Dakota State a really tough test, but that kind of seemed like that the Jacks were kind of sleepwalking through that one and, and still end up getting a win. So any team beating South Dakota State would honestly be a little bit of a surprise, but you know, you never know whether could be a factor in a semifinal game or um, I mean, you have three weeks to prepare for the national championship game. And so you come in with a good game plan, whoever that is, 
you know, they could, they could potentially give, you know, South Dakota state a, a good game. So um, I think it'll be South Dakota state. And I think the winner of the Montana, Montana state game um, is going to meet them um, in Frisco. Uh, Cause whoever wins the brawl, the wild this week, and I think is probably going to get the number two seed that comes with home field advantage. It's going to be really hard to beat Montana state at home. It's going to be really hard to beat Montana at home, whoever that is. And so I think we're looking at a South Dakota state versus insert one of the Montana schools, you know, in Frisco, which would be, in the electric atmosphere, probably the best atmosphere ever in, in the Frisco era, uh, you know, with those two fan bases traveling there. So, but we shall see. It's a 2014 bracket. You have to win four times, sometimes five times to win a national title, depending on if you're a seed or not. So, you know, a lot, a lot can happen in that bracket. Yeah, I'm just glad doing this uh, for the Sac State since 97 um, that they're talked about, that they've made it three in a row, possibly four if they win this week. And the guys like you are talking about them regularly. I mean, it's, it's amazing that they've kind of jumped up into this and now they've made it through the Troy Taylor era into Andy Thompson. And it seems like it's still rolling and they've had some losses obviously, but it, for me, I gotta say, it's so much fun that you guys even mentioned Sac State now because so many years they really didn't deserve to be mentioned. So it's really cool. Yeah, absolutely. And it's, it's great from our end too, to have, you know, a, a, a program like Sac State that is, that is in a bigger, uh, you know, market. It does draw, uh, you know, great crowds. I think, Last year, Sac State was somewhere in the top 10, I want to mm-hmm. say, in home average attendance, you know, in, in the FCS. And so, uh, you know, the following is there. And obviously, you know, winning multiple Big Sky titles, that helps, you know, attract, you know, more people to the games. But, uh, I mean, yeah, this is a, a much longer conversation about, you know, the state of the FCS and, you know, all the teams that have moved up to the FBS, um, some blue blood names. Now we're kind of looking for who can step into, you know, those those shoes. And, you know, you know, Sac State has stepped up. You know, Idaho is, is, is now stepped up um, as well. And so uh, that's what the FCS needs is just more more teams to kind of up their play and make the top of the FCS more competitive. So it isn't so top heavy. And, and Sac State has certainly entered that conversation from, you know, really 2019 on where the years prior to that were, you know, just not I guess nationally relevant, you know, when, when it came to the, the, the like the playoff stage and all of that. Well, Sam, uh, bottom line is we know Hornet fans need to be rooting for the Hornets to beat the Aggies. And I guess we'll keep our eye on what North Dakota state, probably Austin P Albany, you mentioned just some of those teams, see if they get some help this week. And I know they'll be watching the selection show regardless, win or lose this weekend and uh, see where their fate takes them. Sam, thank you so much for joining us. Keep up the great work. And I, I hope we're, we're talking a few weeks from now with the Hornets still in this thing. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, I appreciate you having having me on. And, you know, Selection Sunday, like you mentioned, is it's going to be interesting because no matter what the uh, the committee does, there's going to be a lot. There's probably going to be like five mad, five plus mad uh, teams out there and fan bases out there because they didn't they didn't get the draw they wanted to or they got left out of the bracket. So uh, it'll, it'll be fun. But, um, yeah, it's it's always a good time of the year right now. At least five plus or more. mad. that's for sure. Sam, thank you so much. We'll talk soon. All right. Sounds good. Thank you. All right, my thanks to Sam Herter. Interesting perspective on all the different avenues of where the Hornets could end up here. And it's going to be an interesting weekend, obviously, with the Causeway on Saturday. Sunday, the Hornets will have their senior banquet, honoring those that have put in a lot of time and had a lot of success in this Hornet program. And then we're going to watch the selection show to see the fate, the postseason fate of the Hornets. And they won't have to really hope much if they can beat the UC Davis Aggies. Now, how do they do that? Well, one of the things that's going to be most important, the Hornets have won three straight games in this rivalry. Obviously, it's going to be played at Aggie Stadium in Davis. I don't think that's much of a factor as far as the the game goes. Weather, something to watch. There's some early thought in the week here about potential rain on Saturday. But all that aside, 
For Sacramento State, they've been giving up some yards defensively. They haven't totally broken down defensively, though they're giving up more points than they've been, but there's been times where they've been bending, not totally breaking. What's going to be imperative is how they handle Land Laris. And this guy's been incredible the last couple of weeks. He's been a difference maker, Big Sky Offensive Player of the Week, and when he was out, the Aggies weren't as good. UC Davis is a little banged up defensively, and so the Hornets, I think the number I'm looking at is 28 points or more. If they can start living in that 30-point range, I think they're going to be tough to beat. The lower the score gets, more advantageous, I believe it is, for Davis. And like any game, any game, it's turnovers, right? I mean, I think if the turnover battle is close or within one, even or within one, I think that's that still could be good for the Hornets. If it starts to get to a plus two for either side, that's going to do some damage. If you look at common opponents this year, that's a tough read. UC Davis beat Cal Poly by more than the Hornets did. Um, UC Davis beat Texas A&M Commerce by 38. Hornets beat them by 28, so they both convincingly won there. Uh, Sacramento State did beat Northern Arizona, though that was a close one. UC Davis lost to Northern Arizona on the road. And, you know, you're starting to look at some of those common opponents. Idaho State, the most recent one. The Hornets ended up with 37 straight points to blow out Idaho State. The Aggies won last week by seven. I don't know if that means anything on the individual matchups, but it's what this game means. From Davis's perspective, obviously a win would put them at 7-4, and four, give them, a, a, I think, a good shot at making the postseason. It would give them their most quality win, and you beat your rival, right? That's a, a pretty good year in 5-3 and three in Big Sky play. Uh, if they lose, they're not in the postseason. That would be a reward for the Hornets, and it would put the Hornets on kind of what Sam Herter said, on the bubble of a top eight seed, maybe at the very back end. And if not, you got to believe if the, uh, the Hornets – would be one of the higher seeds of those that aren't in the top eight, and they would play that first weekend after Thanksgiving, something they haven't had to do yet. I mean, the Hornets trying to make the playoffs for the fourth consecutive year, a true testament to this program, and uh, their road has been a bye week, and we know how that's ended with a loss the first year to Austin P. after the bye, a loss the second year after the bye to South Dakota State. Last year, a win against Richmond after the bye, then a loss to Incarnate Word. So, uh, it's been amazing to watch this squad go this year, and I hope there's a lot more football ahead. Saturday's going to be awesome, and I hope you all get a chance to either listen to it on the radio with myself and Danny and Steve, um, if you get a chance to watch it on television, or even better yet, get out there and support the Hornets. It'll be a lot of fun, and this is the game's the region's best game. I love it. I love that it's the end of the year. I love that there's something on the line, and I hope it brings out the best in the Sacramento State Hornets. So look forward to this one. We'll be back next week to recap it and hopefully preview a playoff spot for the Sacramento State Hornets. My thanks to Sam Herter for joining us and for all of you for listening. Thanks for listening to another edition of the Stingers Up! Sacramento State Football Podcast.